As Michael said, we are glad to have each one of you here this morning for our Sunday morning worship service. If you are visiting with us today, we are happy and we're honored to have you with us. And come back anytime you can be here with us at McCoinsville. Story is told about a time when a great storm was raging on the open sea. And the sea captain realized that his ship was sinking fast. So he called out to his crew, does anyone here know how to pray? One crewman stepped forward and he said, Ah, Captain, I know how to pray. The captain said, Good. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets. We're short one life jacket. In late October of 1991, a storm stronger than any other storm in recorded history hit the New England coast near Gloucester, Massachusetts. That storm was officially known as the Halloween Nor'easter of 1991. But it's better known as the perfect storm. From both a book and a movie with that same title. Many of you have probably seen the movie. This weather event was called the perfect storm because there were three weather systems that combined in just the right way to create a monster storm. What's the pinwheel right there in the center of the screen? That was the remains of a hurricane that was beginning to weaken in the Atlantic, but then it combined with energy coming across the Great Lakes, and it combined with a frontal system across New England. The author of the book called The Perfect Storm wrote this. A mature hurricane is by far the most powerful event on earth. The combined nuclear arsenals of the United States and the former Soviet Union don't contain enough energy to keep a hurricane going for one day. In the case of this storm, the perfect storm, when those three weather systems combined, it regenerated and strengthened that hurricane, and it created just a, a terrible, catastrophic situation in the Atlantic Ocean. Winds blasted over the ocean at more than 100 miles per hour. Boats encountered waves a hundred feet tall, as tall as a ten-story building. Waves 30 to 40 feet high battered the New England coast, destroying 200 homes, 
property damage totaling $500 million. Nine people died from the storm, including the six-man crew of a fishing boat caught in the storm named the Andrea Gale from Gloucester, Massachusetts. The story of that boat and its crew is at the center of the book and the movie version of, of this story. Now, thankfully, a terrible storm like that doesn't happen too often. But you know a person doesn't have to live very long before they encounter storms of life. It might not be in the form of a great hurricane, but it could be through a serious illness or injury. It could be through the loss of a job, the breakup of a marriage, or the death of a family member. The storms of disease and defeat and depression can hit us suddenly without warning. And as the whole world knows all too well by now, for much of last year, for much of 2020, our world and our nation has been caught up in the storm of a pandemic. The COVID-19 virus has spread around the world. It's caused physical death, an economic downturn, and a disruption in everyday life for almost everyone in some way. But you know, besides those real physical challenges, the pandemic has also brought to many people a fear about the present and the future. And so as we begin a new year during this perfect storm, you might say, of epic proportions, what we need, what we need more than anything else is an anchor. We need the anchor of hope that comes from the promises of God. And so I'm calling this sermon today on this first Sunday of the new year, 2021, I'm calling this sermon, God's Promises, the Anchor of Hope. Like the sea captain in the opening story that I told, in the midst of the storm that we've been experiencing, the voices of the world have been crying out, does anybody have an anchor? Does anybody know how to pray? You know, for us, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be able to say we have an anchor 
and we know how to pray. Our God hears and answers our prayers, and our God keeps his promises. And that is where our hope should come from. By faith, we can sing the words to the song, Will Your Anchor Hold, that Larry led just a few moments ago. That may have been a new song to many of you, but I asked Larry to lead it. We sang the words, Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock, which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. In the familiar old song called Whispering Hope, the third verse begins with the line, Hope as an anchor so steadfast rends the dark veil for the soul. The pandemic storm that we've been dealing with for about 10 months, I would say it's probably a new kind to us because in most of our lifetimes, maybe all of our lifetimes, we've not been through anything just like this. But you know, this is nothing new for God. This is nothing new for God. Since God created our world, God has been carrying his people, his people of faith, through the storms of life. At this point right now, we don't know exactly how long this storm is going to last. We don't know exactly how great the toll of death and damage to lives may be. We don't know exactly the damage to our nation and to nations around the world, although the coming vaccine may help. But we do know this. We do know that God will be with us. God will carry us through. Because God has done it over and over. God has brought his people through so many hard times in our history. God carried his people through seven years of the bubonic plague from 1346 to 1353 when between 75 and 200 million people died. God carried his people through the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 when between 20 to 50 million people died. God carried his people through two years of the Asian flu pandemic during 1956 to 58 when about 2 million people died. 
and God carried his people through the HIV-AIDS pandemic from 2005 to about 2012, when 36 million people died. And you know, to give us some perspective, let's keep in mind that every year in the United States, every year, millions of people die from different causes. For example, in the year 2018, 2,813,503 people in the U.S. died of different causes. That number included about 650,000 from heart disease, about 600,000 from cancer, about 170,000 from accidents, 150,000 died from strokes, 55,000 died from flu and pneumonia, and 47,000 died from suicide. We know all too well that, that life has its challenges all the time. But especially during the storms of life, that's why we need God's promises, the anchor of hope. So as we begin a new year, today's sermon is going to be the first in a series of six sermons that I plan to preach that deal with the promises of God. And if I stick to the plan that I've come up with and kind of outlined, these will be the remaining sermon topics in this series. First Sunday in February, we're going to study God promises we can defeat the enemy. First Sunday in March, we're going to study God promises our prayers have power. First Sunday in April, God promises death is not the end. First Sunday in May, God promises a Savior who intercedes for us. And first Sunday in June, God promises there is no condemnation in Christ. I believe and I hope that this series will be a worthwhile and encouraging study on some of the basic foundational promises of God that we need to be aware of. In Acts chapter 26, when the Apostle Paul was on trial before King Agrippa, Paul made an interesting statement in verse 6 of that chapter. Look at it. He said, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. So what did Paul say there was his biggest crime? What did Paul say he was on trial for? Well, he said he was on trial for putting his hope in the promises of God. You see, Paul built his life and his ministry on the promises of God. 
Paul believed and trusted in God's promises. And so did all the other people that we think of as the great heroes of the Bible. The one common denominator for all those heroes of the Bible is that they built their lives on the promises of God. In your minds, think about just a few of these biblical heroes and see if what I'm saying is true. Because of God's promises, Noah built an ark, believing that it was going to rain, even though, as far as we know, it had never rained before on the earth. How did he know? Was going to rain because God said so God promised Noah that he would destroy the earth by water because of God's promises Abraham left a good home for one he had never seen because of God's promises Joshua led two million people into enemy territory the land of Canaan, the promised land. Because of God's promises, a young man named David took on a giant named Goliath, armed only with a sling and five smooth stones. And you know, on and on we could go this morning for the rest of the time with Bible examples of people who acted in faith because of God's promises. One Bible scholar spent a year and a half searching the Bible, searching the Bible for all the promises that God has made. And by his count, if his count is correct, by his count, he came up with a total of 7,000 487 promises. That's a lot of promises. Now you know some of God's promises are positive. They are guarantees of blessings. And some of God's promises are negative. They are guarantees of consequences. But all of God's promises are binding. Because God is not only a promise maker, he is a promise keeper. God's promises are sure and unchangeable because of who God is. And who is God? And what is God like? Well, first of all, God is unchanging. You could say that God is able to see the end from the beginning. God is not affected by moods or by the weather like, like we are. In James 1.17, James says of God that there is no variation or shadow of turning. God is unchanging. Secondly, God is powerful. 
God does not over-promise or under-deliver as people sometimes do. In Romans 4.21, Paul says that Abraham had believed that what he, that's God, had promised he was also able to perform. And Abraham was right. Abraham was right. God is so powerful that he can fulfill whatever he promises. Thirdly, God is faithful. In Hebrews 10, 23, the writer there tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God's track record, you could say, is faithfulness. And fourthly, God is truthful. He tells the truth and he cannot lie. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 6 verse 18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. When Paul wrote to Titus, he reminded Titus in Titus 1 verse 2 about the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Now those verses don't say that it's unlikely that God will lie or may be doubtful that God will lie. No, the truth there about God is plain and clear. God cannot lie. Lying is impossible for God because God doesn't just speak the truth. Truth is what God is. So the question is not, will God keep his promises? Because he will. He cannot do otherwise. Now the real question is, will we build our lives upon God's promises? Do you need an anchor in your life? Could you use some hope? If so, then you're not by yourself. Because folks, we all need, we all need an anchor of hope. Because we live in a time of despair for many people, in a time of uncertainty. And not just because of the coronavirus. You know, for Christians, the possible political changes in our, in our nation may be bringing to us a greater uncertainty about the moral and the, the spiritual direction in our country in the future. And even the religious freedoms that we've enjoyed since our nation was founded. Who would have thought, who would have thought at this time last year that during 2020 we would see scenes like this? 
with state police be in order to record license plate numbers of people attending a Sunday worship service. Now, I don't know about you, but that, that concerns me. And that happened in one of our neighboring states. Before the coronavirus hit, our nation's economy had been booming and expanding. Unemployment had been at a 50-year low. A lot of people were enjoying good times financially. But you know, in spite of having such a good economy and a world full of technology and entertainment and recreation, a great, great many people in recent years have been empty and unhappy in other ways. In the last 20 years, the suicide rate in America has increased 24%. Alcoholism rose by a shocking 49% in the first decade of the 2000s. And today, sadly, one in eight American adults fits the clinical description of an alcoholic. But the unhappiness doesn't cause everyone to turn to drugs and alcohol or to suicide. It sometimes causes other people to turn to bitterness and hatred and violence. And we've seen this kind of unhappiness and bitterness coming out in the attitude of people online, in our social media, in the news, and elsewhere. As a matter of fact, we saw it on Christmas Day in Nashville. When an unhappy and evidently disturbed person put the lives of many people in danger and did a great, great deal of damage. We've seen it in mass shootings, in schools, concerts, workplaces, and even churches, and yes, churches of Christ. In 2019, there were 434 mass shootings in the United States that injured 1,643 people and took the lives of 517 people. Since the coronavirus arrived last year, depression and anxiety rates in America have risen. Suicide rates have increased. Federal surveys show that 40% of Americans are now, today, dealing with at least one mental health or drug-related problem, 40%. And young adults have been hit harder than any other age group, with 75% of them being affected. You see... People are suffering and dying 
a lack of hope. The kind of hope that can come only from God and trusting in his promises. There's a word called secularism. The word secularism could be defined as the separation of government and life from God. And secularism sucks the hope out of society. Secularism reduces life to just a few decades between birth and death. Many, many, many people today believe this world is as good as it's going to get. And let's face it, it's not always that good. But we as faithful Christians... We should have an advantage over those who don't believe and don't obey because we have the promises of God as an anchor that gives us hope. We should stand on the promises of God. We should ponder God's promises. We should pray God's promises. We should proclaim God's promises. Like Paul said about Abraham in Romans 4.21 that we already mentioned, Abraham had believed that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. When we face the storms of life, we can dig into God's promises and come up stronger. You know, the promises of God could be compared to a pharmacy's medicine shelf. Just like a doctor might prescribe a different medicine for different illnesses and different problems that we have physically. Well, likewise, God in His Word has given us prescriptive promises for the different problems that we face in our lives. For example, if we're feeling lonely, or fearful, then we should open a bottle of Hebrews 13, 5, and 6. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? If the world seems out of control, we're going through hard times. It's time for a dose of Romans 8:28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. If we're facing trouble and persecution, we can fill the prescription of John 16:33, where Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, nothing lifts the weary and weakened soul like the promises of God. God governs the universe and this world according to 
to his great and precious promises. God is still in control. God is still in control. What this world needs today and what each one of us needs is not more human opinions or theories or speculations, but we need the solid declarations of our mighty and loving God. And during this sermon series, I hope to point us toward just a few of those time-tested and trial-tested promises of God. We're going to dig pretty deep into those promises because they are hope's anchor. And they are the firm foundation on which we can build our lives. Before we end today, I want to remind you about a parable in Matthew 7 that Jesus told right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The parable was about two builders. You know, there's a familiar children's song based on this parable, and I would say we all probably know it. <clears throat> but Jesus didn't tell the parable to children. He was speaking to adults who needed to hear and understand his concluding point at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. So here's the parable, verses 24 and through 26, Matthew 7. You're familiar with it. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, both builders in that parable had similar supplies, similar desires. Each one wanted to build a house. But one builder described in the parable as a foolish man, he chose the cheap, he chose the easily accessed and the quick to build on land of sand. But the other builder described as a wise man chose the more expensive and time-consuming and yet more durable foundation of rock. Now, to better understand the parable, it might help to know something about the geography of Israel or Palestine in the time of Christ. This picture is showing what's called a wadi in Israel, which we would think of as a dry creek bed. It's a creek or a river that's dry most of the time. 
you might remember from the Holy Land presentations that parts of Israel in the northern and central regions are located at higher elevations. The areas around Jerusalem and Bethlehem are about 2,500 feet above sea level. So during the rainy season, which is the wintertime there, heavy rainfall can run down from the mountains into these wadis and cause flash floods. Now, when the floodwaters run down and then dry out, it leaves behind layers of sand in those wadis. And you know, except for the land along the Mediterranean coast, these dry wadis would be some of the only places in Israel where you would find large amounts of sand. Sometimes the wadis can be very wide, like that one in the picture. Sometimes they can stay dry for a long time. That soft sand in a wadi would be easier to get to than the solid rocky ground higher up. No big rocks or stones there to have to clear off. So a person without good judgment, trying to get by with the least amount of work and effort, might think that dry wadi to be a good place to build a house until the storms come, which they will. And that dry wadi turns into raging floodwaters. And those flash floods can happen very quickly, as you can see in that video from Israel today. Now, in Jesus' time, his listeners would know about these flash floods. And they knew about sand. So when Jesus said in the parable, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. They would understand that. They got that because there is rock in Israel everywhere. They would also understand that a person would have to be extremely foolish to build a house on that soft sand in the path of a possible flash flood. Even though it might be quicker and easier and cheaper to do it that way. In fact, the original Greek word for foolish in the parable is the same word that our English word moron comes from. So in the parable, the rains came down, the floodwaters came up, and the winds blew, and the house built on the sand was destroyed, but the house built on a foundation of rock out of the flood zone stood firm safe and Jesus not only gave us the parable he explained the point the moral of the story 
Notice in the parable that what separates the wise builder from that foolish builder is that both of them, it said, hear God's words, but only one of them obeys them and builds his house or his life upon them. Let's be reminded today of our need to both hear and obey God's word and to keep on building and keep on living according to God's word. Let's hold on to God's promises, knowing that God always keeps his promises. And let's ask ourselves the question today, all of us, what kind of foundation are we building our lives on? Is it earthly power? Is it popularity? Is it prestige? Pride? Is it prominence? Is it possessions? Is it property? Is it prosperity? You see, those are all foundations of sand. None of those things will help us one bit, not one single bit, when the storms of life hit. And they will come. Or are we building our lives on God's great and precious promises? Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 1 verse 4 that God's promises are very great and precious promises. That verse says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Through Isaiah, the prophet, God made this promise about his word in Isaiah 55 that, that Benny read before the sermon. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Notice there the certainty of God's promise about his word. It always produces fruit, and it always accomplishes God's purposes. And as that passage described, imagine God's words falling on us like, like rain or snow from heaven. Let's receive them and let them soak deeply into our hearts, producing the fruit of God's purposes. Hope, strength, and peace foundation and the anchor that we need in the storms of life. 
Let's live our lives standing on the promises of God. You know, God has promised us eternal life in heaven with him if we belong to him and if we follow him and obey him in this life. To do that requires hearing the gospel of Christ preached. It requires believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It requires turning away from your sins and repentance. It requires confessing the name of Christ and making him the Lord of your life. It requires being immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins. And then it requires living a new and a faithful life in Christ. And then you as a Christian can have hope in God's promises as the anchor that we've talked about today. The lesson is yours today, and if you need to respond to the invitation of Christ for any reason, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing.